Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chapel, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, listeners, welcome back to another weekly mashup, and this is uh, just great to bring it to you because I'm so excited about the guests that I've had on the podcast, and this is just a snippet of a couple of the episodes from the past for you to listen to, to then just get a little bit of a, an understanding and to sort of maybe whet in a little bit of the appetite for you to then go back and listen to the actual full episode. Episode 288, this is from Roy Osing. And uh, his uh, the title there is of that episode is How to Be Different and Audacious. And uh, he's a man of a lot of knowledge, wealth of the sense of, of the wealth of knowledge, insights and so forth, and has done very well in business and a great guy to be around and um, to have as my guest on episode 288. 290, um, that episode is Kieran Tharakan, and uh, Kieran is, uh, the episode there is called The Story Defines the leader and Kieran shares about the power of stories and so forth on the full episode but I want you to also listen to the snippet of that episode and my interview with him as well so listeners sit back and enjoy who is your favorite leader now this person could be alive or from history who's your favorite leader and why you're gonna laugh at this okay because I had fun with this one I had fun with all your questions my favorite leader unfortunately, is is uh, no longer with us. And his name is Jerry Garcia. Now, Jerry Garcia was the leader of the rock band, The Grateful Dead. Now, you're probably too young to remember The Grateful Dead, but, but The Grateful Dead was a rock band. The most famous touring rock band in history was, in fact, The Grateful Dead. It was not The Beatles. It was not all of these other bands. It was The Grateful Dead, okay? Why do I think Jerry Garcia was an amazing leader. Well, first of all, he was way ahead of his time. I mean, he basically lived to be different. He didn't talk about it that way. Here's a guy that did communications with his fans long before social media existed, actively engaged with them all the time. Here's a guy, here's a guy that would show up with his band and say, literally, what are we going to play tonight? So he would mix it up. So just kind of like change up all the time and representing a different face for their fans was what he did. And one other thing that, that really amazed me was the fact that, that he was a contrarian. He went against the flow. Now, this was at a time when people were protecting copyrights of music. They weren't allowing people to, to record and share their music, right? This is it back in the day, but he recognized that that was really dumb. That if you wanted to increase the value of your music, 
You had to share it. And so he literally at concerts, he built portions of a stadium and stand to allow people to record the dead's music. And of course, the recording industry went apoplectic with this. They thought, oh my God, what's Jerry doing? He's going to ruin our business. Well, Jerry didn't ruin their business. It made him and his band the number one touring rock band in, in the world, literally. And people loved him. They Fans loved him. The other thing he did, I'll just one more thing here, is he actually kept his special deals for his loyal fans. Now, think about it, Dennis. When you look at the TV, how many offers do you see when people say, if you leave your supplier and come to us, you're going to get a free TV? In other words, what they do is they they provide the benefits to somebody who's with somebody else to encourage them to join your team. Okay, first of all, I find that offensive and morally destructible, quite frankly, Because if I've been with you for 10 years, why don't you give me the best deal first? But you don't do that. Garcia figured this out. He says, special deals will go to my fans. And and maybe if there's any left over, we'll use them to entice new fans to come. But not as the first. So this was a guy who was way ahead of his time in a business that was highly competitive. And he did one more thing. He introduced the strategic concepts, okay, that I came back on. And he inspired me. With this concept, and it's called the only statement. You know, it's a way to describe your competitive advantage by 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 avoiding claptrap like better, best, premium market leader, which means nothing, right? It's called the only statement. The only statement says we are the only ones that. It's binary. Garcia, here's what he said. You don't want merely to be the best of the best. You need to be the only one who does what you do. Jerry Garcia, leader. The Grateful Dead, way ahead of his time. He, I get goosebumps when I think of that. I got to tell you, it is so profound. I've taken that. I use it. I use it with clients. I will not let them get away with claptrap, Dennis, like better and best, because read a newspaper, check out anything online. That's how people describe their advantage. It makes no sense. Yeah, cool. So Jerry Garcia is my favorite leader. By the way, my second, I'm not going to go there, but my follow-up second mention is Lady Gaga. Ah, nice. Very good. So, uh, really interesting because when you said his name, it's like, who? And But then when you actually share what, he, what he's done, you go like, wow, that is so cool. And Roy, if you were to have the opportunity, I don't know if you've ever met him, but if, if you were to have the opportunity to meet with him on a park bench and have a coffee with him, what would be one question you would ask him? Where the heck did you come up with the only statement? That's what I would ask just boom. Nice. Where did you come up with that? Like embodied it. Just think about this. This is several years ago in the day when rock and roll was was done through through people showing up on fields in the 60s and 70s. Right. This is where this happened. Capturing the hearts and souls of people outside for him, for anybody to have that vision in terms of how to articulate competitive differential advantage. That just blows me away. Just blows me away. That's great. Yeah. The other thing is, I mean, he spent that band created a mind blowing uh, customer experiences as well, but that's another story. But he just leveraged that that stuff. He was fantastic. And I want to know, I want to know what he was thinking when he wrote it, when he wrote the only. That's, that's a very good question. Well done. So, listeners, thing here is he might have actually come up with that, that terminology about we only. 
But uh, it's not, it's so what? There's another terminology. It's what you do with it again. What Roy was saying, execution. It's around that execution of it, what you do and you're putting it into place. Now, Roy, the name of the show here is Leadership is Changing. When I say that title of the show or that statement, what does that mean for you? That was really, that was a very interesting question because I came up with, with a different title because from my point of view, the tag we should be talking about is leadership must change. My thing is leadership is changing, but I'm not happy with where it is. I'm not happy with the speed. I'm not happy with the quality. Okay. Because it's still hanging on to precepts, which quite frankly are promulgated by theoreticians and professorial kinds of people, as opposed to you and I in the trenches, dealing with people, dealing with customers, dealing with competitors and learning what really works. So I think leadership must change. And, and what that means to me, if we want to perform, if we want the performance of our organizations to reach levels that they're capable of, we need different leaders. We can't get there with what we got. And we can't rely on the momentum established by the, fa- by the past, Dennis, to get us there fast enough. So I would like you to consider its leadership must change. And then the question is, why? Why must it change? Great question. Opens the door up for the conversation around cut the crap, killing dumb rules, hiring for goosebumps, fingerprint leadership, all the stuff that I did that worked for me that nobody talks about. And they won't unless we change the narrative. So it must change. It must change. We are at a, at a, at a tipping point, I believe, in organizations. We're going to talk later about our employee expectations changing. And my view is going to be, my answer is going to be no, because we haven't listened to them as leaders. They've always told us, they've always told us that they need our help. They always told us that they needed changes in the workplace, et cetera, et cetera. These are are basic need stuff that they still complain about. So leadership must change. They must talk about the only statement to make their organizations competitively definable. They must change the perspective from planning to execution. I was asked on an earlier show, well, what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you, it means 20% of your time should be on the plan. 80% of your time should be on how to execute it, which is exactly the opposite to the way things are done. I wrote my first book, Dennis, in 2009. Nothing has changed on that. Nothing. It's still 80-20 on planning. So we need you and I as really the the drivers of this kind of change process, we must tell people leadership must large letters change. And here's why. And here are the things that you can consider doing, because if you don't do it that way, nothing's going to happen. I don't trust momentum to deliver us a different leadership model. I don't trust it because I've looked at it for 13 years and I've witnessed very little other than the brilliance of people who would have been brilliant anyways. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. I'm sorry I threw a screw into that question, but I, no, I, I think it's great. I'd rather be talking about must. It's so important. Here's a question for you, and it's the person can be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? Steve Jobs, hands down. Now I've got a lot. I love history. Absolutely love history. You know, I, I love reading about ancient uh, ancient history, especially. Uh, and so one of my favorites from. From the old days, uh, it was uh, Alexander the Great. Absolutely great, phenomenal stories. Now, he's a military commander, but this young man took over uh, the reins of power from his father, Philip, as a 19-year-old boy. 
Now, he had been raised since he was 14 to occupy positions of power. But during the course of the next 12 years, you know, he took his he took these Macedonian and Greek troops all the way to the frontiers of India, all the way to the frontiers of India. And he died pretty young, you know, at the age of 32. But uh, his legacy uh, still stands today uh, to the point where Greek medicine is still practiced in India. As an ancient, uh, as an ancient right, right, and so all the way through Afghanistan, all these kinds of things. How did he do that? Now, a modern day uh, equivalent to that might be, and what I'm saying is, you know, starting with just a, a, a pile of resources, and then you make something great out of it, would be Steve Jobs. Mm. Now, he revolutionized. Steve Jobs revolutionized not one, not two, not three, seven different industries. He revolutionized seven in different industries. If he revolutionized one, he would be a great businessman. If he revolutionized two, he would be, you know, maybe a tycoon of some kind. To revolutionize seven different industries is the mark of a genius. And I consider both these, uh, both those examples. Um, because Jobs had a very uh, success at a very young age as well. He wasn't given the uh, keys to the uh, Macedonian kingdom like uh, Alexander the Great was, but he, was able to create these multi-billion dollar fortunes for, for Apple. And Apple's a $2 trillion company now because of the foundations that uh, Jobs set. How did he do that? You can only do that with powerful leadership skills. Mm. And maybe this is the, maybe you've already given me the answer to my next question, is that if you were to meet him on a park bench and have a coffee with him, what would be one question you would ask him? This might be surprising, but I would want to know his spiritual practice. Mm. Because Jobs had a very powerful spiritual practice, uh, you know, and uh, he made a spiritual pilgrimage at a young age again uh, to India. And uh, that profoundly uh, affected him. Uh, one of his favorite books was Autobiography of a Yogi. And uh, he would hand that out to his friends and, and such. So I, you know, and that is a big part of uh, what I've learned in the past uh, 20, 20 years, definitely in the last 10 uh, is that your spiritual practice is as much a part of you being a leader as as anything else, you know? And if you're not, if you don't have some kind of a spiritual practice, uh, and I'm not talking about going to church and, you know, and worshiping according to the dictates of the Catholic church or whatever it is, if that's what you want to do, please go ahead and do it. But I'm talking about something as simple as being calm, okay, and and being centered, and being and allowing things to flow forward and being aware of yin and yang and knowing which is right for the moment. And so what I have very deliberately done in the past five years, 10 years has been to take time uh, in the mornings for at least a 30 minute to 50 minute uh, meditation. And I might do that multiple times during the course of the day just to zone in. Okay, and you know you can zone out or you can zone in. And zone in is you know you're not zoning into the business or the problems or the opportunities. You're zoning into yourself, into yourself. And so he had a powerful. Now Jobs had a powerful spiritual practice. And one of the, one of his best lines that I've read is that he a reporter had asked him, you know, that he had basically missed the internet. Apparently, he missed the internet, the, all the different revolutions that were happening in the internet. And, uh, I forget exactly which products bypassed him at that point in time. And, uh, the reporter asked, what are you going to do now? Because the reporter was framing it from the point of loss. <laughs> you know, you've lost out here. And Jump simply said, I'm going to wait for the next big thing because he knew there was going to be a next big thing. 
<laughs> because there's always a next big thing and always another opportunity to not only gain, but also to redeem yourself. And so that's part of that spiritual practice as well. And so when you look at it from that perspective, you know, and that's the only reason you have the iPad, I, iPod, iPhone, you know, and on it goes, right? That came all about after this reporter asked him that question. So how do you maintain that equanimity in that, in your mind space to allow things to come together instead of you forcing things into place? Yeah, I like it. I love it. Let it come together. Yeah, yeah. And um, we need to be calm. We need to be centered to allow that to happen. And I think also that a leader who is calm is a leader who's in control. And I don't mean that to be a control freak. I mean, as somebody who knows where they're going, actually has real strong foundation, values, ethics, things like that. And um, uh, that's a really good thing. So I'm, I'm glad you, I am actually glad I asked that, that question. So then um, you could share that. So it's really cool. Now, the show here is called Leadership is Ta- Changing. That's the title of the show. When I say that title or statement, what does that mean for you? Leadership is changing. I think it reflects um, this idea of what people want out of their leaders. Uh, I, I put out a quote of the week uh, every week uh, on my LinkedIn LinkedIn uh, account. And um, one of the quotes is simply that uh, strong leadership emanates from strong storytelling and narrative to the point where the narrative, the the narrative actually defines the leader. A great leader with a poor story becomes a poor leader. But even a mediocre leader with a great story has the opportunity to become a great leader. Hmm. So when I when you say to me that leadership is changing, it is about understanding the narrative that is relevant to the times today. And so you would never have heard of, you know, like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you would not have seen the to the same level the impact of things like Black Lives Matter as a, you know, and and this whole idea of inclusivity, representation, as it relates to how a leader imbues his organization, their organization, uh, with these values, because people are very cognizant of wanting to see these values. You have BlackRock, uh, the world's biggest uh, money manager, insisting that their investee companies uh, have very high ESG ratings, right? Environmental, social, and uh, I think governance, right? ESG ratings. And so they're saying sustainability has to be a part of your mandate. It can't be just about making money. So we have all, so things are changing. And the, when things are changing out there, which mandates that leaders have to change in to mirror what their people, their constituents, what the world at large wants out of their organizations. And, and this is clear recognition that you are a part of the whole. You are not to, not there to exploit the whole. You are there as a part of the whole. So what is your contribution? There you go, listeners. A couple of the episodes, just a snippet on this mashup of the different kind of uh, guests that I interview, but also what they're sharing. And so if it's really, it's sort of, tweak your interest or you know your curiosity of finding out more uh, then go to episode 288 Roy Osing on how to be different and audacious I love it how he talks about and when my question is about the show called leadership is changing what does it mean for you he says leadership must change and then he also talked about you know that 20% is the plan but 80% is the execution and um, some real words of wisdom there uh, and so definitely check out that full episode on episode 288 and then Kieran Tharakan uh, on episode 290 
And the story defines the leader. It's interesting how he uses meditation to zone in, as he was saying it, but not zone out. And um, it's actually really quite interesting how he talks about it as well. But uh, another fascinating guest as well. And um, hope you're really enjoying these mashups. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.